0: Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Hey, good morning. This is Pastor Josh, and I wanted to let you know, on our live recording for this message, uh, it failed to record, so we're actually going to be doing a re-recording from home, and so I'm going to give you the message, kind of like a Bible study version of it. And hopefully it ministers to your heart. We're actually uh, jumping into week three of the Colossians series, All You Need. And over the last two weeks, we've discovered uh, that Jesus is, is really the one who, who makes us holy. He provides for us. He encourages us. He equips us. And he will carry us to the end. Uh, last week, when we looked at chapter two... We really saw that it encouraged us to seek a personal relationship with Jesus and not try to follow God through a bunch of rules and regulations that would take the place of really encountering Him. Uh they really they really stop us. They're they're counterintuitive to having a true relationship with Him because we replace that with a bunch of regulations that make us feel like we're doing a good job but without really encountering or knowing the heart of God. And so uh, we talked about <clears> how <throat> about trying uh, trying to live by a bunch of rules and regulations to earn God's favor or forgiveness or love or to kind of prove one's worthiness really just robs us of knowing uh, what really God did for us on the cross and robs us of knowing him personally. So the question we're, we're going to be answering today is what does it what does it mean for uh, that we can, um, or in essence, a better way of saying that actually is. So if, if following God is not about a bunch of rules and regulations, does that mean that we can kind of do whatever we want and still be right with God? And, uh, you know, if, if following rules and regulations, Rob, Rob us of real relationship with God, then should I be able to do kind of whatever feels good to me? And, uh, I'll give you a, a, a short answer. The answer is no. (laughs) Obviously, uh, that is not what it it means. It doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want just because we're not called to follow a bunch of rules and regulations. So the the main question then that we're going to be answering today is how do we know then if it's not about a bunch of rules and regulations, how do we know that we belong to Jesus and that we're being transformed if following Jesus isn't about following rules? How do we know that we belong to him? What what evidence can we find in our life if it's not about a checklist of do's and don'ts? I think this is a a good question for us to dive into as we look into chapter 3. And Paul really kind of lays it out for us there in in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to jump into that starting in verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul is using this writing technique, which I love here, uh, that he uses a lot, of actually, and especially in Colossians, that demonstrates this pattern of action and response. See, the question is then, who is acting and who is responding? As we talked about last week in chapter 2, when we attempt to live our lives by a set of rules and regulations, it puts us in the action seat, and God in the response seat. Because I, I did this, because I didn't do that, then God will then have to reward me with favor or love or good things. It actually puts us in charge. <clears throat> but that isn't what Paul is saying here. And actually, it isn't the pattern that God established throughout the entire Bible. It makes me think of Exodus, right? When he he called the people out of Egypt, he set them free. And then in the desert, he showed them how he wanted them to live. It didn't say live right first, and then I'll set you free from captivity. He set them free first, and then they responded with right living. And Paul is reminding us of that as well. God is the one who acts, and we are the ones who respond. God sets us free, and we respond to him in freedom. God is the one who brings us to life, and we begin to walk in new life. God is the one who raised us with Christ, so we begin to seek the things that are with Christ above. And Paul is reminding us, it's not about, if I do this, then God will do that. It's actually, because God did X, Y, Z, then I will respond to Him in these ways. And that's what Paul is reminding us today. He's he's reminding us to, because you are alive in Christ, seek the things that are with Christ. Seek the things that because Jesus did this thing in you and made you new, seek what is with Christ. He continues in verse 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? First, when it when it comes to Jesus, when we when we when we come to him and accept the work that he did on the cross. We die to our sin, meaning it no longer has power over us, and we come to new life in him, in Jesus, the new life that Jesus gave us. So what does that what does that mean then to have a life that's hidden with Christ, in God? I love that Paul says that you're not only with Christ, but you're in God. It's like that double layer of amazingness that we find ourselves in as we are walking in Jesus. Now remember in chapters 1 and 2 Paul is addressing these false teachers that said some uh that had uh, said that they had some hidden knowledge about God that that no one else had and to find these hidden things you had to add other teachings and other ideas and live by these rules to really understand who God was and what Jesus was doing. And Paul reminded us that if you are actually in Jesus, you have All the hidden knowledge. And now, in fact, we are the ones who are hidden in Christ as well. We have become a part of the mystery that is Christ. That's why when we're following Jesus, people that don't know Jesus, maybe people that are in our family or coworkers are like, I don't understand it. I don't understand why you follow Jesus. I don't understand why you decide to give Uh, to to this thing. I don't understand why you live differently and you spend your time at church and you're doing these things. I don't understand it. It's a mystery to me. Why? Because you have been hidden with Christ. Now you are part of this mystery of God redeeming the world and the darkness cannot comprehend the light. So it's a part of the the being hidden in Christ. But secondly this hidden with Christ thing, it, it speaks of of the security we have in Christ, that the enemy can't come in and steal us away from from Jesus. Jesus has us. The enemy can't touch us. It makes me think of um, of horror films, you know, where where the, the the bad guy, the the axe murderer, the the evil ghost or whatever, always has a way of knowing exactly where you are at all times, don't they? You know, you you watch you watch it the the scary movies. I don't really like scary movies, but you always cut these scenes where, you know, it's like, it's stormy, it's lightning flashing, and you cut to a character who's running through a cornfield, right? Just the, 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 the murderer is behind them, but they're flying through this cornfield, and they come out of the cornfield, and they see this abandoned farmhouse, and that's always a great place to hide. And so they run into this abandoned farmhouse, and they run upstairs, and they pull down the jawstring of the attic, and they climb up into the attic, and they close the the, tr- the door behind them. Uh, and, and all of a sudden they're hiding in the dark and they're breathing heavily and then a flash of lightning and the action murderer is standing behind them. Like, how did he get there so fast? And how did he know that they were going to hide in the attic? You know, that's kind of just like, that's crazy to me. Right. But Paul is saying here, if you're in Christ, the enemy can't find you. The enemy can't touch you. He can't, he can't steal you away from Jesus He can't see you. I mean, I think like some of us as believers, we need to just John Cena, the devil, sometimes like, you know, just tell him, you can't see me. You know what I mean? Uh, That's for my WWE fans out there. Uh, (laughs) You just need to recognize that Paul is saying here, you are safe in Jesus. If Jesus has you, the enemy cannot steal you away. You are safe. You are secure in Jesus. I love that. Verse four, he says this, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But Paul is basically saying here, because you're hidden in Christ, when Christ, what Christ is doing in you, won't fully be revealed until Christ himself is revealed. And when does that happen? We as believers uh, believe that Jesus is coming back for us, and when Jesus returns for us, the church. It says that we will be caught up in the clouds with him. And that is when the work that Jesus is doing inside of us will be fully revealed to us. The the glory of Christ, when it is revealed, then the work that he's doing in us will be revealed. I want to encourage somebody here today that you may feel like, you, you you just don't measure up, or you know you're you're not satisfied. You're, you you feel like, oh man, I just I, I wish I was a, a better Christian. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. I just want to encourage you that the work that God is doing in you is not done yet, and it's still hidden. You, you may not fully see it. You may not fully recognize it. But God is doing a work inside of you. Don't be discouraged. Don't turn away. Don't run from the fact that that you're you're not experiencing what you thought you would experience all in the time that you wanted to experience it. It's all in God's timing, but be be assured that God is still working inside of you and that fullness of what God is doing inside of you won't be fully revealed until he comes back for us. And I wanted to just encourage you today that Jesus is coming and the work that he's doing in you will finally be revealed at that point. Verse 5 says this: Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, which is, Paul is basically saying, any type of sex that is outside of marriage, put it away. Impurity or some type of indecency. Passion, which really speaks to lustfulness, evil desires or corrupt cravings, wanting things that we shouldn't. And covetousness, which is idolatry, which is basically greed, telling God, you don't provide enough for me. I need to go out and get these things for myself. I want these things that God, you haven't given to me. He says in verse six, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them. Paul here is giving us a list of ethical codes or moral codes that come from following Jesus. And really, these are different from a list of rules and regulations that he condemns in the first two chapters. Rules and regulations and rituals come from outside of us to dictate how we live and these moral codes that paul is is writing here uh, they come from the new life that that is in Jesus that confronts us from the inside out it confronts it confronts what is inside of us that needs to be put to death because Paul says seek the things that are above and these things um, uh, these sexual immorality and lustfulness and Uh, these evil cravings, the corrupt cravings, these things are not with Christ and they actually bring death to us. And Paul's saying, you need to kill them before they kill you. And Paul is reminding us, remember in chapter two, when he writes, we have died with Christ, now he's calling us to put the old man to death. Symbolically, when we uh, taught this message, chapter three, we did water baptisms and baptism is, is an expression of the old self being buried with Christ. And when we come out of the water, we rise in new life with Christ. And one theologian, I love how they said this, it said, in baptism, the old self is indeed drowned, but the scoundrel can swim. And so we don't want to throw a lifeline to the old man that we have put in the water and giving him opportunity or giving her opportunity to come back, resurrect itself uh, in our lives and try to take dominion and control of our life again so our role in walking in this new life with christ is to put to death these things that have that we once walked in The, the things that are contrary to the new life in jesus they no longer have power over us but if we allow them to linger they will attempt to take control they controlled our lives before christ christ came in he broke their control their power But if we continue to go back to them, we'll put them back in that place of control over our lives. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. In fact, four out of the five of these things he says to put to death are sexual in nature. Part of that is because if we're called to live in a a loving community with each other, then sexual sin... Really can't be present because it it corrupts it erodes the very foundation of loving community when people are are Selfishly seeking out lustful desires with other people. It's no longer loving and caring for the other it's it's self-indulgence and that always brings division and Corruption in a community that is there to care for and love one another secondly These traits, Paul says, dominated us in the old self, the old life, and should not be given room to dominate us again. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. So why give room uh, to those things that ruled us before in the flesh, that ruled and controlled us with their sinful desires before we met Jesus? He understands sexual sin is a very strong and powerful and controlling sin, so don't give room uh, for it to come back in and take you down. These these uh, sins that Paul's talking about reflect this inner turmoil between our flesh and the Spirit. And he's saying, look, take them out before they take you out. The next list that Paul gives us is in verse 8. And he speaks to how we should treat and and speak to one another. He says this, in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. He says anger, which is an internal uh, anger that you feel inside that kind of boils your blood, man. When you're, when you're upset, you're angry. And then he says wrath, which is kind of an external explosion, like a vomiting of anger on somebody. That's what wrath is, when you just explode your anger with, with violence, with words, uh, with actions. He goes on to say malice, which is spitefulness, being spiteful towards somebody, or slander by speaking speaking badly about someone. He also says obscene talk, which is abusive language. He says, put it away from your mouth. He says, verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you understand that how we speak to one another demonstrates our love for one another? Before Christ, we really only cared about ourselves and our own well being, but now with Christ, we care about others. We're called to be concerned with the well being of others, the care of others. So when we are angry with others and when we explode, when we vomit anger on people, when we're spiteful with people, it brings division. When we speak poorly about people, when we slander people, when we're abusive in our language towards people, it only divides us. It doesn't unite us. And it demonstrates that we care more about ourselves than we do about the other person. Paul's saying, put those things to death. Put them away. Don't allow them to continue to rule your life because those things are the characteristics of the old self. And the old self has been put to death. So don't allow it to resurrect itself in your life. It says, power, the power, James tells us, of life and death is in our tongue, and Paul's reminding us that here as well. If you want to have community, you want to love each other, you want to be bound together in love, how you speak to one another and how you act towards one another is vitally important. If we're called to be knit together, then the same love that Jesus has for us, we should have for one another. That goes way beyond any type of rules and regulations. It goes into the very character of who we are. And the motivation behind which we do things, and Paul is reminding us: Look, there's nothing more powerful than love, so don't allow things to get in the way of loving one another. I think about a zipper, and we did this demonstration on Sunday at a giant zipper. And the, and if you think about a zipper, we, you and I are like the teeth of a zipper, right? And and Christ's love for us, His grace. And His love is the head of the zipper that binds the zipper together, and so as you go up and you and you pull the zipper up, the teeth come together and are strong. They can hold things together. They can they can uh, keep things out. And really, in essence, the, the one side of the zipper is is the will of God uh, in our lives, and the other side is our is is. Uh, Is where we desire for the will of God to be in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, you know, uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially. And when we bind together in love, we are we are taking the will of God, and we are being able to apply it to our areas of our life where we need Him to move. But when when anger and malice and spitefulness and abusive language come in, they're like little threads that get in between the teeth. You ever have that happen when you're trying to zip up something and it catches a thread? All of a sudden, you're no longer, the zipper doesn't work like the way it's supposed to. The head can't continue to go up and and bind the teeth together. And there's a little thing inside of there that that stops it from going. You know, I, uh, I'm i a beekeeper and uh, part of my, my bee suit when I'm out there working bees is put together by a zipper. The the veil that covers my head and face connects by a zipper to the suit that covers my body. And if that zipper fails, then it creates space for the bees to come in and sting my face. And look, I I don't want my face to be stung. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound exciting to me. And I, there was one day I was trying to zip up the zipper, and I couldn't get it past one's part, and I couldn't see where it was at, so I had to take it off and look. And I saw that there was a thread, just a small little thread, that was in between the teeth there and it was stopping the zipper. And so that created a space for the bees to come in and sting me. And any time that, that we allow these things, anger, spitefulness, the way we treat one another, those things, uh, when we, we treat each other poorly, is a, is a space that comes in between us being bound together and knit together and love. And that creates a space for the enemy to come in And throw his fiery darts and bring pain where we should have had security. And so Paul is reminding us here that we are called to be bound together, knit together in love. And don't allow these other things in life of the old self to stop you from being bound together. He continues in verse 11. He says this, here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, which is foreigner. Scythian, which is uncivilized, he says, slave and free. But Christ is all that matters, and is in all. In the, in the teeth of a zipper, can you can you see where huh, where there's a Greek or a Jew or or better yet to to, to to apply it today to our life? Can you see where the Latino is and where the Caucasian is and where the African American is? No, they, you, you can't see where there's male or female teeth. It's just. We are who we are. All that matters is Jesus. And if Jesus is in us, then Jesus the one who binds us together. It doesn't matter our differences. It doesn't matter um, what area of life we're coming from. Jesus is all that matters, and Jesus is the one that binds us together. He's in all and he's really the one that matters. So it doesn't it doesn't matter the the things that we experience in life in a sense that would stop us from loving one another. Paul is Paul reminding us, if you belong to Christ, you belong to each other. So be bound together in love. He continues verse 12. He says this, Put on then, as Christ's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, he says forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive look you can you can fake rules and regulations you can you can say oh I did this I don't do that oh I I, you know I don't I don't go there I don't do that and you can use that as a way of justifying your actions and your relationship with Jesus but you really you can't fake forgiveness you can't fake compassionate hearts or kindness or humility you can, because really, people know, people know when you're faking it. People know when you really haven't forgiven them. And you know when you really haven't forgiven them because you can feel it. You can carry it. Unforgiveness poisons the, per, the person who carries it. So you you know when you really haven't been walking in forgiveness. You, you really, uh, if you say that you've forgiven it and you really haven't, you're just lying to yourself and you know it. And Paul's saying, look, if you're supposed to be bound together in love, with one another, caring for, be compassionate towards one another. When you Be kind to one another. Be humble, preferring the other above yourself. And if someone has offended you, forgive them. Because Christ has forgiven you, you also must forgive. He says, verse 14, And above all these, put on love, <laughs> which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you know that love unites us? Love binds us together like that zipper, to hold together what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives, in the church, and in the world. It binds what God's desire is with where we need Him to move. Love puts it together, binds it together. Putting on, Paul says, you know that reference that Paul uses to take off the old, put on the new. It's literally conveys this idea of changing clothes. He's saying, look, take off the old self that is decaying and stinks anyway because it's dead on you, take it off and put on the things that are new, the new things that are fresh and clean that Jesus has given to you. Because Christ is transforming you, you have the ability to change your actions and your attitudes like you can change your clothes. So you're no longer stuck in your old ways. You no longer have to continue to do the things that you used to do. You know how we, we talk, well, look, I'm Irish, so I just get angry all the time. What are you talking about? No, you, you, are, you are new in Jesus. You are new in Christ. So put on the new self. Take off the old self. Don't allow it to continue to rule you. It doesn't have power over you anymore. Verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful you know, peace and gratitude go hand in hand when you're grateful you you have peace, you're no longer feeling the pressure of the things that weigh on us when we're ungrateful, and when you have peace, you're grateful you're you're happy that you have peace, you're grateful to God, Paul saying, no matter what situation you're in, let the peace of God rest upon you and be thankful. Finally, he continues. Let every word, he says, every action reflect the new life we have in Jesus. Even in the bad times, even in the struggle, even in the pain, we are called to give thanks to God because thanks to God puts us in right perspective. Finally, the last part of this chapter, Paul goes into these codes of conducts for Christians at work and at home, really remembering that all All the while, our call is to be bound together in love. So don't allow anything to drive a wedge between what God is doing. Don't allow those threads to get between the teeth of the zipper. Don't don't allow us to come together. And really, uh, the rubber meets the road in family and at home and at your workplace where you're spending 40 hours a week. Paul's saying if you can't do it there where life happens, then you're, you're not doing it. And that's why he he goes on in verse 18 to say, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You, you You can't have one without the other. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't actually break it down into chapter and verse. We did that to kind of help us know where we're at when we're reading it together corporately and to help us memorize it. But Paul, when he wrote it, he never meant that those two verses should ever be separated, as if we should say, okay, well, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, period, done, and end of discussion, and now we can dominate wives and make them do what we want them to do because the Bible says submit. No, verse 19 goes hand in hand. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This idea of submission uh, is just is coming under the mission of somebody. It should be it, it goes both ways. And and husbands and wives are called to support the mission of each other's lives. And that's what submission really is. And it's hard. Can I say this? It's hard for wives to submit to an angry and hurtful husband. How do you sub- submit or uh, to how do you support the mission of a man who treats you badly, who is angry and spiteful and hurtful and lashes out? No, we that's that's not what God is calling us to do, he's saying, support each other as husbands, love and support your wives and not be harsh with them. Men, if you can love and 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 support your wife, she will gladly submit or come under and support that mission of your life. If your mission in life is to cherish your wife, to to love her, to provide, to protect, to encourage, to strengthen, that's something wives can get behind. That's something that wives can support. If a husband is loving and kind to his wife, then then that's uh you know. And and if you're a father and loves your children and cares for them, that's something a wife can get behind. It's not a a, a form of of domination over a domination over over wives. It's a as husbands love and support wives. Make sure you support your husband because men we need to be encouraged. We need. That support we need that affirmation that's part of a lot of guys love language is being affirmed and that's uh, nothing helps us more than wives that say honey thank you so much for doing what you're doing for for loving me well for encouraging me for caring for our family that's a beautiful thing those two things should work hand in hand uh, in verse 20 Paul continues to say children Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, what, what does that mean exactly? We we understand children obey your parents. But what does Paul mean when, when he tells fathers specifically not to provoke our children, lest they become discouraged? Have you ever witnessed a, a dad belittling his kids? You know, it's like, man... You, you never do that right. You're you're too slow. Speed up, you, man. You always get in the way, man. You, why you act so stupid all the time? You always mess things up. You ever seen a a dad do that? It, it's it's heartbreaking. Paul, Paul is speaking specifically to dads here, and I believe it's because that dads have have this profound ability. They have this God-given voice to speak affirmation to their kids that would bring confidence and security. And if that voice isn't there, and if that voice is a belittling voice and not a voice that uplifts, then our kids are going to walk around defeated and deflated and discouraged. And we as dads have a profound calling to encourage our children, to encourage the next generation. Now, do you know why We have so many issues in our society today. I believe it's because fathers have been silent. I believe it's because dads have not been speaking and not have been present in their kids' lives to bring that security and that confidence that they need. It's really time for us to rise up and to speak over our kids' life, to speak encouragement over them, not to provoke them, not to discourage them, but to encourage them. We are are to set the example. We are to be the good example for our children. How we treat our wives, how we treat our kids' mothers is vital in how we set that example for them. How we speak to and about other people sets an example. What our work ethic is like sets the example. We need to help our children. We don't need to provoke them and to discourage them. And finally, Paul speaks on how we work. And when he speaks in uh, verse, starting in verse 22, uses the language of bondservant and master. And really that doesn't translate uh, today uh, as we understand slavery, especially in America. Really what he's speaking to is employees and employers, that interaction between those who are working and those who are bosses. And so when he says bondservant, think of employee. When he says master, think of boss or, or owner or employer He says this he says bond servants obey in everything those who are in your earthly who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ he's saying this work hard because you're working for Jesus when you're on the job, don't milk the clock. Don't work hard only when your boss is around. Work hard because you were working for Jesus. When you work, work as though you were working for the Lord. Verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Meaning, if you're treated unfairly, those who are treating you this way will be paid back in return. It doesn't matter their position, doesn't matter their title, doesn't matter their privilege. If they treat you poorly, God sees it. So don't allow that to be a hindrance to you. Continue to work hard because you're working for the Lord. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, Masters or bosses or employers, treat your bond servants or your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven That master is Jesus. Paul's given that warning to the bosses, to employees, to managers, everywhere. Don't act like you're the ultimate authority on the job because you're not. You have a superior above you. You have a master in heaven. So he's watching how you treat people. He's watching how you speak to people. If you're treating them justly and you're treating them fairly, don't take advantage of people. Do what God would have you do. The main question that we asked today is how, how do we know that we belong to Jesus and that we're being transformed if following Jesus isn't about a bunch of rules and regulations? The answer is this, when we're walking in love with Jesus and with others, when we're putting others' needs above our own, when we're not leading others into sin or lashing out when others sin against us, when we're bound together in love, holding firm to the call of God in our lives when we're reflecting his transformation in us by putting to death the old self with its ways that lead to death and putting on the new self that leads to life. So really, we need to be practical. We need to be a people that meet with others, that love others, not just in a church setting because Jesus says, the world will know that you are mine by the way you love each other. The world can't see how we love each other inside these four walls, inside the church building. We need to be people that get outside of the church, outside of the four walls to demonstrate our love for each other so that the world can see how we love, that we are actually bound together, that we're knit together in love. That means getting together with other believers and loving them and respecting them and encouraging them and doing that together. We need to demonstrate How we love each other. How are you today loving each other? How are you connecting with each other? How are you caring for each other? In September, as a church, we're launching life groups where we get to gather into individuals' homes and walk out what it means to be bound together in love. Every week, we're going to be able to put into practice these words of Jesus and these words that Paul has written down, fulfilling the calling of Christ in our lives. And what we need is for people to continue to open their homes. We need people to say, yeah, I want to I want a host in my home because I believe when you're willing to do that, then you're going to receive a blessing from the Lord upon your home that you've not had before. The Bible really tells us that those who open their homes to the gospel and to fellow believers will receive a reward. And I want to encourage you. I want to give you this opportunity to, to be a people that are able to bless that you are you will be blessed that you can bless others and I want you to receive this blessing as well. So if you're if you're listening to this message and you're part of Hosanna Worship Center make sure that you come and find me and and get us get you signed up to be one of our host homes to launch in September because I really believe that's where you're going to be able to put into practice these words of being bound together in love. It's not it's not Enough to say that we're bound together in love. We need to demonstrate that we're bound together in love. And so I would challenge you today to to get outside of the, the church comfort zone and really begin to love people practically as Jesus loves us. That's God's calling for us today. That's my challenge for you. God bless.